Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 15. Uh, We are uh, going to be covering a couple of verses in John 15 today. Um, This is the series that we're in. Uh, We're taking three months to to actually just sit in John chapter 15. Um, This series is called Abide, um, and and we're really wanting to kind of tackle this idea, tackle this concept of what it means to abide in Christ and have Christ abide in us. Um, And it seems like a term that we've heard um, a lot about. It's probably no shock that a lot of us in this room have um, a background in church. We have, we've have we at least either grown up in church or um, are pretty familiar with the idea of church and this idea of abiding in, being in relationship to, being in union with um, is a concept that's not foreign to a lot of us. Um, and so the reason why we're jumping into this is because even though it's something that's very familiar to us, um, there can still be some misconceptions we have in what it actually means to abide in Christ and have Christ abide in us. And so we're, we're going at this in order for ultimately to see God receive glory um, and in that also us receiving the utmost joy. But in that relationship is a process in which there are roles to be played, there are responsibilities to be played. Um, in that. And so we, we, we kind of want every single person in here to, to lay aside maybe some preconceived notions that we had about what it means to abide so that we can open up the scriptures and see maybe something that we haven't seen before. Um, be able to start growing in something that we may have not grown in before when it comes to this idea of abide. And the reason why I know that we can learn and grow in this because maybe we haven't seen it before is even something that just Kelsey and I experienced this last week. We had the opportunity to retreat to Naples, Florida. And my idea of retreat is to go somewhere that's, that's really beautiful, that's really nice, that has a lot of sunshine, so that you can just sit on the beach and just enjoy rest and relaxation. We just didn't know that our type of retreat this last week was going to be going to a place that has all those things, plus a tropical storm on top of it. And so th- there wasn't this kind of beauty of, of Naples in which we actually got to go out and experience this thing called sunshine. Um, I think in, in the entire time that we were there, Monday to Thursday, uh, we actually got to lay out in about three hours worth of sunshine. Everything else was just nothing but monsoons. And so you would think that that would be kind of this this frustrating idea. Um, you would think, like, we came down here in order to, to get rest and relaxation, um, and it would be quick to be able to jump to, well, because we didn't get what we actually wanted, we're actually not resting and relaxing, but we actually did get to rest and relax and be refreshed and be renewed during that week, despite the fact that what we thought that it would look like wasn't. Um, and so that's kind of what I wanted to bring us into when it comes to this idea of abiding. We might have ideas of what it actually looks like, but there might be more to it. And so I want us to um, open up our hearts, open up our minds to be able to receive the truth today that we're going to see in the scriptures when it comes to this idea of abiding. And to catch some of you up that, that I know haven't been here, this is our fifth sermon in this series. Um, we've been literally kind of etching away about a verse a week 
um, in John chapter 15. We're looking at verses 1 through 17. Today we'll be covering verses 4 through 6. Um, just the foundation that we've laid to start off with was before abiding can even happen. Um, and you'll see this in John chapter 14 in the context around it. Before jumping into what it means to abide in Christ, which, by the way, is probably the heaviest command that Christ has ever given us, abide in me as I abide in you. He's asking us to do something that he himself is doing with us. Well, like last time I remember, Jesus did a lot of things that I'm not capable of doing myself, yet he's commanding me to do in him as he's doing in me. That's a heavy command. So I want to make sure on the front end that we're understanding what that takes before actually jumping into the text today, abide in me. And so the foundation that had to be laid in John 14 were three legs. And so if you look at it kind of like a three-legged stool, all three of these things have to happen in order for us to sit on the stool of abiding in Christ. And the first leg was Jesus has to be present. Jesus has to be involved. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man gets to the Father. No man gets to be in union, in relationship with the Father unless you come through me. And so Jesus is the first leg. The second leg that he then moves into is the, is the belief factor. So salvation has to happen. We have to see Jesus as being the way, the truth, and the life. Therefore, we respond. He grants us the faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He grants us the faith to be able to believe in him, and transformation happens. We come into relationship with the Father through Jesus, as we see in John 14, 6. And so salvation happens. And then what we see out of that response at the back half of John 14 is two primary things that, that really form one word. And those two things are, he, he asks whatever you wish in my name. So prayer comes into the picture. And then he also says to keep my commandments. And so obedience to his word also plays into this picture. And this is our response of meeting Jesus, believing in Jesus, and then now responding with this new identity that we have inside of us, this new um, um, Christ-like identity that is in pursuit of Him. So the first leg is Christ in pursuit of us. He came to seek and to save the lost. The second leg is salvation. And the third leg is, is our response to that. And as we'll see in verse 10 of John 15 is the fact that how we know salvation has happened is you proved to be my disciples by keeping his word, by being involved in prayer, by abiding in him. And so that's the foundation that has to be laid, his pursuit of us, us coming to know him, and then our pursuit of him that begin to form the relationship of abiding in him. We then saw that there were several roles that are played out in this. He begins with verse 1 in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. What does it mean that Jesus is the true vine? must mean that there was at one point a false vine. And what we see as the false vine is, is what he's referencing is Israel. And so Israel was meant to come in and be a light amidst the darkness. They were meant to be a nation among nations. They were meant to come in and ultimately lay out to the rest of the world, this is what God's design is meant to look like. God's given us a law. He's given us a, degree, a decree. He's given us commands. He's literally shown us 
what would lead to joy and what leads to God's glory. And Israel was meant to be this vine that's supposed to flourish. And in flourishing, the rest of the nations around would say, how can we get connected to this? How, how can we come in and get what you have? But what we saw, and, and, and Israel did, Israel did spread out and was a, a beautiful vine, a beautiful nation, and then began trusting in their own fruit rather than the, the, the fruit that's coming from the true vine, God himself. And when they began trusting in their own strength, their own fruit, they then became what Psalm 80 refers to as a wild vine. They began doing their own thing, and God ultimately handed them over to to their own destruction. So Jesus comes in as the greater Israel. He comes in as the greater vine. He comes in as the vine that will never go wild, but will be the true vine. And the only way that we can receive the nutrients that are coming from the Father, the nutrients that are coming from the Godhead, is to be connected to the true vine, and that's Jesus Christ himself. He then refers to the Father as the vine dresser. And now a lot of times when people look at this passage, they only talk about vine and branches, but they never really talk about the fact that Jesus mentioned, my father's the vine dresser. So there's a role that's happening from the father that he is doing with the vine and that he is doing with the branches. But the, the reality is there, the reason why he mentions the vine dresser is because what he does with the branches is different than what he does with the vine. With the Father, how the Father tends to the vine is different than how the Father tends to the branches. And we see that in verses 2 and 3 where Jesus says, Every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that is in me that does bear fruit, he prunes. The Father, the vine dresser, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then we start moving into abide in me and I in you. And so the vine dresser, the Father is looking at all the people that are in some type of relationship with Jesus, that are in some type of gathering around the person of Jesus, and the Father is looking to see who's truly connected and who's not. The Father's looking to see who's truly in Christ and who's not. Who's not in Christ, he takes away. Who's in Christ, he continues to etch away. He continues to prune. He continues to, to lay off the, that old nature. He continues to, to cut away at the flesh so that we may bear more fruit. But we had to do some work on that one because, as Jesus says, every branch that's in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So what does it mean to be in him, but yet not really in him? Because as we've seen throughout all of John, as we've seen throughout Scripture, this idea of receiving salvation means that you cannot undo what God does. We cannot walk away from what God does. Jeremiah 32, 40, as, as he's saying, God will plant within us a new heart that we may not turn from him. So this new heart that we receive, this new identity that we receive in Christ, we are unable to walk away from it. So how can you be in and then not in, as he kind of says in verse 2 there? And what we saw was, and the best example of it is Judas. Judas was in. He was considered one of the twelve, yet he was never a true disciple. He was never truly in relationship with Jesus. He was just around Jesus. He knew about Jesus, but he never ultimately trusted Jesus to be who Jesus is. 
Judas was still trusting in his own flesh. He was carrying the money bag because he wanted to be able to take some for himself at all times. He was following Jesus for his own personal gain, not for the glory and gain of Christ himself. And so there are true disciples and false disciples, and they intermingle within each other. There are true branches and false branches, and the role of the vine dresser is to do away with the false branches, to take them away, ultimately judgment and condemnation, and to then, for the true branches who are connected in, who have received the second leg of the foundation that we talked about, who have met Jesus and received salvation, the Father is coming in to help continue to mature them and continue to grow them by pruning away, by cutting away, by by a holy conviction within us, what are the things in our life that we need to get away that are robbing us of the nutrients that are coming from the vine? What do we need to cut away so that we can receive all that Christ is doing in us? And then verse 3 was another interesting one. Already says you are clean. So he, he prunes branches that are already pruned. He cleanses branches that are already cleansed. And this is what we talked about last week. And last week was basically this idea of becoming what you already are. Becoming the identity that you already possess within you. So when we receive Christ, when we come into the faith family, when we come into the church, the body of believers, we receive fullness of Christ in us. We receive all of Christ in us at that time. God sees us as justified. He sees us as righteous. We receive that. Yet, in the moment that we receive it, we don't immediately begin walking in perfect righteousness, right? We still mess up. We still fumble. We still stumble through life. We still, we still sin. And so this idea of already you are clean, yet you are being cleansed, Already you are pruned, yet you are continuing to be pruned, is this idea of sanctification. You're becoming now the identity that's already in you. And the way in which we do that is, as we'll see in the abiding process, is by interaction with Christ, interaction with others, interaction with the Word. Like if there were going to be three ministries that a church must do and must always do and never cease doing, is involving ourselves around prayer with God, around the Scripture, and growing and meditating and studying and reading the Word of God, and then interacting with one another so that we can fulfill the 59 one another's that you see in the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Like, you knowing the Scripture and telling it to me helps me prune away the areas in my life that don't need to be there so that I can make room for the areas of my life that need to begin bearing fruit in the Word of God. So we need prayer, we need the Word of God, we need each other. That's what we begin to see in this abiding process. And this is where it's really going to lead into the rest of the weeks are going to be responsibilities. And these are going to feel heavy at times. This is, this is in all honesty, in, in probably the last 10, 11 years of ministry, these next weeks are going to be everything that I've always reared against when it comes to preaching and teaching because it's going to be a lot of do's and don'ts. It's going to be a lot of there's responsibility on your part of things that you need to do in order for this abiding relationship to work. 
And I've always been anti that because I've always been, I don't want a works-based religion. I don't want a works-based teaching. I don't want to put that weight on you. But the reality is, is it's there. It's there. No one ever grows in relationship with God without reading the Bible, right? It's impossible. But the beauty of the reason why we spent five weeks focusing on what the vine dresser has done, what Christ has done, is it now leads us into being able to do and not do with the complete and total freedom that it's not us earning or keeping his favor, but rather walking in his favor that's already there. I get to now tell you how often you should pray, when you should not pray, when you should study, when you shouldn't study, when you should love and spur one another on, when you shouldn't love and spur one another on, because there's no condemnation on you based on how often you do it, how less you do it, how much you do it, because you are already infinitely pleased in God's eyes. So I don't have to worry about you feeling guilty on how much you do or don't do but rather just get to tell you, you have freedom to get into it. Like whether that's one verse a day that you're reading or whether that's a chapter a day that you're reading or that's a book of the Bible a day that you're reading, whatever it looks like between you and the Lord and your abiding relationship, you're connecting in and living under the banner of, I'm free to do this. But the beauty that we see in Scripture is that Paul constantly talks of himself as a bondservant. He says, regardless of your life, you're going to be a slave to something. You're either a slave to sin, and therefore you're living under the freedom of the only thing that you can do is sin. Your choices are going to lead to sin. Or... You are then bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You then come into the family of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the only thing that you get to choose to do is now be under the banner of Christ as master. And we're living under the freedom of his household. We're either under sin's household, living out all the things that we can do in that kind of park. Or we're in the park of Jesus and we're getting to do anything and everything that Jesus possesses. And we're free in that. This is the abiding relationship. And the beautiful thing that we'll see in this is that there's two roles. God has a role in this relationship. In him, as Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. So there is a responsibility that Jesus is bringing to the table when it comes to abiding. And then also he is saying, but you are to abide in me. And so there's a responsibility on our part when it comes to this relationship, us growing in one another. So what does it mean to abide? Abide simply means to remain or stay. To remain or stay. And in the Greek, it gives us different references. It actually gives us three separate uses or ideas for this, uh, um, for this use of abiding. And I believe each of these hold true as descriptions of our abiding in Jesus. One is to abide in a place, to remain or stay in a physical place, both on your own voluntary initiative and also to be held and kept by the place in which you are remaining. So one is simply saying you are, you are to stay or remain in a place, but while you're remaining and staying in that place, that place is also keeping you there. 
You're held there. The second is in reference to time. Abiding is to continue or be or to endure in a moment. The third is a state of being or condition. It means to remain as one and not to become separate. So it's a relationship that we are keeping, that we are remaining in. So simply looking at the Greek word used to describe this relationship, this union with Jesus, the Apostle John tells us that Jesus commands us to stay where Jesus is and to be comforted that Jesus is also keeping us in that place. It also tells us that we are to endure constantly regardless of time and circumstances. And finally, it tells us that we are to never separate ourselves from remaining in Jesus himself. The command to abide in me is to stay in Jesus in the place where he is, the time when he is, and the state of who he is. That's what it means to abide. So as we read John 15 together, I want you to see this idea of abiding in Christ as those three things that we are to stay in Jesus in the place where he is, the time when he is, and the state of who he is. So you're opened up there to John chapter 15. This is a, a rhythm that we've been doing together each sermon. Um, and it's because I'm challenging our people to memorize John 15, 1 through 17, because it is so, so tied to our relationship with Christ on a daily basis. So John chapter 15, we're going to read this together. We're going to read this out loud. And so I wanted you to see this idea of abiding before, because it's, it's 11 times in 17 verses, the fact that he says abide. And so keep that in mind as we read through this. I'll start. I want you to join in with me. And I want you to join in with me with pride, like you know how to read. And be strong in it, all right? John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, my father's commandments and abide in his love these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you greater love has no one than this 
that someone lay down. But I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I commanded you so that you will love one another. Father, we thank you so much for just the reading of your word. We thank you that you give us access to the revelation of who you are your truth, the way in which you've designed us to abide in you, the way that you've designed us to relate with you, to communicate with you, and God, ultimately, to also be in relationship with others. And so, God, as we continue to just exhort one another in your word, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us the truth of who you are and that it would allow us to see you not just with eyes in these pages and and not just with our ears when we hear your word but God through the, the eyes of our heart that you would illuminate within us the truth that you would show us more and more of who your son Jesus is so that we would treasure him and by treasuring him we would be transformed by him that we would grow in our identity, that we would grow in the righteousness that we already possess. That as you're pruning us, and as we are abiding in you, as you are abiding in us, we would begin to bear fruit. We would begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit, that we would begin to bear the fruit of multiplication, of making more disciples. God, ultimately, that we would just bear the fruit of what it means to be a child of yours. And so, Father, be with us in this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. By remaining in Jesus, as as we see here in John 15, verse 4, abide in me and I in you, it says that we will bear fruit. As we talked about over the past several weeks, when we were laying the foundation for this abiding, this union with Christ, does fruit does fruit get produced merely by us having an intellectual assent that God is sovereign that he's working things out for us that he's purchased for us righteousness through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross like does fruit happen by us simply trusting God's provision for us it's a trick question It's a trick question because the answer would be yes. Fruit happens by us trusting God's provision over us. But the answer would also be no. The answer would also be no. Fruit does not happen by trusting God's provision alone, divorced from our responsibility to keep his commandments as he says in the word. As we'll see in John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So for someone to posture themselves as Christian who simply intellectually ascends 
who simply just says with their words, says with their mouths, I trust God to do all things. I trust that God's working out all things for me. I trust God that he has sacrificed his life on the cross for me. I trust Jesus that everything he said was right and true. I trust all those things. But in that is just intellectually with his, with his mind, with his words, with his heart even, is just saying those things, but his life does not prove that those things ring true to him. He's not abiding in the Father. He's not abiding in Christ. He's Judas. He has all the right things to say. He's Satan. Satan has all the right, like, you realize, like, you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look through the book of Acts, every time they interacted with demons, who always got Christ right in the scriptures? The demons did. The enemy did. No one knows more theology than they do when it comes to us. Yet intellectual assent, just knowing, does not produce fruit. There's the role of God's provision over us, but there is also responsibility on our part. Using the fruit metaphor that's in this passage, let's say, let's say you no longer want to be a teacher, no longer want to be like a software manager, no longer want to be a musician. Let's just say whatever your profession is, college student, you want to drop all of it and you want to become a fruit farmer. All right? You want to just, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm buying some land. I'm going to start planting some trees. I want to be a fruit farmer. We're going to run with, with that metaphor going into this. I'm going to show you how abiding and farming are alike in both process and progress. First, beginning with the role of God. Let's take the farmer. A farmer plows his field. A farmer sows the seed. A farmer fertilizes it and cultivates it all the while knowing that in the final process of farming, he's utterly dependent on forces that are outside of himself, right? He knows that he cannot cause the seed to germinate. No matter how much you sit over top of it and talk to it, you cannot cause that seed to germinate. Nor can you produce the rain and sunshine for growing and harvesting the fruit. For a successful harvest, the farmer is dependent on these things from God himself. So God has an obvious role in the abiding relationship and producing a fruit that's in us. That relationship, that righteousness, that identity of Christ that God has planted with inside of us, in order for it to begin moving, in order for it to begin bearing fruit within us, God has to be making provision in us. God has to be sovereign in our lives for that to happen. We have to be dependent wholly on him for that to happen. Yet at the same time, there's a role of the farmer. The farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibilities to plow, to plant, to fertilize, and to cultivate, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season. I mean, how many of you have looked for a job but never put out a resume? How did it work out for you? Man, I just really can't find a job right now. Well, how many resumes have you sent out? None. But just really trusting God to give me a job. Like it doesn't work that way, right? For like the single people in here really just wish I could find a girlfriend or a boyfriend. 
Have you talked to anybody? No. <laughs> just hoping they come along. Just trusting in the Lord that they'll come along. No, like there's still like there's still a have to go out, have to do. There's responsibility on our part in order for it to happen. In a sense, there's a partnership with God, a union in which he will reap its benefits only when the farmers fulfilled his own responsibilities and God has fulfilled his responsibilities in this. And we can say just as accurately that the abiding is a joint venture between God and the Christian. No one can attain any degree of holiness, any degree of righteousness of us growing in it without God working in your life, but just as surely no one will attain it without any effort on your own part as well. Just like I said earlier, you've never met someone who became like Jesus without reading their Bible. You've never met someone who became like Jesus without bending their knees to prayer. It just, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And a lot of us, and primarily within our reformed camp, we sit back and we think that resting in the identity of Christ means that we don't do anything. And that's just not true. It's just not true. You see, God's made it possible for us to walk in holiness, but he's given us the responsibility of doing the walking. He does the maturing, but there's a walking on our part. He does not do that for us. He does not physically move my hands to pick up the scriptures. He does not physically bend my knees and drop me to prayer. Now, he can create circumstances around me that might squeeze me into those positions, but he's not physically going to make me, just move me. It's not like this, this moment where God is all of a sudden just going to take over and robotically, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like, and I just take, like he just takes, like, that doesn't happen in us. But he creates the circumstances around us that oftentimes push us to those areas, push us to those moments. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, says, we Christians, and specifically those of us in the Reformed theological camp, greatly enjoy talking about the provision of God. We love talking about how Christ defeated sin on the cross, how he gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us to victory over sin, but we do not as readily talk about our own responsibility to walk in holiness. And I think there are three primary reasons for this. First, we're just simply reluctant to face up to our own responsibility. I don't know why it's that way. We just are. We're reluctant to do it. We prefer to leave that to God. We, we pray for victory in a situation when we know we should just be acting in obedience. We expect God to do everything. Like it's, it blows my mind how many times, and I'm, I've done this myself, how many times I've been in accountability relationships, very much so when I was a youth pastor, where I would be in, in accountability relationships and, and students would come up and, well, I'm just still struggling with pornography every single day, just can't seem to do anything about it. Well, have you said no to it? Have you just made the decision not to look at it? Well, I, just, I don't have that power. I don't have that ability. I just can't help it. I'm like just entranced by it. Well, then it doesn't sound like you know Jesus. Because the righteousness that's in you, the identity of Christ that's in you, gives you the ability to say no to it. Like every, every week, there are things in our lives that we, I'm just trusting God, just, just miraculously give me the ability to say no to it. He's already given you that ability to say no to it. 
Christ in you is the ability to say no to sin and yes to Jesus in any and every circumstance, in any and every situation. We just don't trust that it's there. We just think in our intellectual minds that, well, God's just miraculously going to mature me to, to overcome this. He's already miraculously done that when he did that with Christ on the cross, when he took your sins and he paid the penalty for your sins and then grants to you the righteousness that Christ had when he lived a perfect life. Was Christ tempted? Tempted in every way that we were tempted. Tempted in every way that we're continuing to be tempted. And yet Jesus said no to sin and yes to God every single time in his life. That power that Jesus had to do that is in us. And we're free to access it. We're free to walk in it every single decision and opportunity that's placed in front of us. So many times we just put it on God. God will eventually mature me and one day I will have victory over this sin. God, I am praying for the victory over the sin. He's already given you the victory over the sin. It's just so many times we think we can't. There's responsibility. There's the choice on our part. We, we are free to say no to it. We are no longer slaves to it. We are slaves to the king who has given us all authority and all power and all identity and all righteousness to be able to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And in that moment of saying no to sin and yes to Jesus, we receive the flood of joy that is able to come into that moment rather than the self-condemnation when we constantly keep saying yes to sin and no to Jesus. We're the ones self-condemning. Romans 8, 1, there's, not, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's not the one condemning us. God's the one saying, why do you keep saying yes to this when I've given you the power to be able to say no to it? I'm giving you the opportunity to experience fullness of joy in every circumstance, in every situation in your life. But you keep saying, you keep saying no to my joy and yes to sin. You keep saying no to eternal joy and eternal satisfaction. And you keep saying yes to temporary satisfaction. He's saying, I've provided it for you. I've given it to you. Just walk in it. Walk in it. And we get to experience the fullness Secondly, I think we do not understand the proper distinction between God's provision and our own responsibility for holiness. I think this one's okay. I think this one's all right for us to not to be ignorant on it. There's things that God does and there's things that we do. And sometimes we don't know what that is. <laughs> this is the part of the process of us growing in the gospel. This is part of the process of us being able to spur one another on and to say, hey man, I don't just... From what I know in Scripture, in my own personal walk, and, and me being with, I don't think that's the, quite the best way to love that person by telling them they're a moron. Like we're able to walk with one another and say, I think this is the way that Christ does it in the Scriptures. So let's say yes to that and no to the way that we've been doing it. Like we're able to come into this thing and continue to help each other grow in what it's like to be like Christ. We're able to help one another say, like, 
hey man, how often do you pray? Like once a week. I think there's more to it than just once a week. How often are you in the scriptures? You know, once every other week. I think there's some more that needs to be on your part when it comes to being in the scriptures. Like once, uh, once every other week, once every, or just the once on a Sunday that we're in the scriptures. I think God's responsibility of you abiding in Christ and Christ, I think there's more to it than just that moment. And so we hold each other accountable to what we are to do, what I'm to do myself, and then also what I'm to rely on God to do. Thirdly, we preach and proclaim rest, but don't realize that rest is commanded because we should be exhausted. The greatest sin, not the greatest sin, but just one of the greatest sins is the fact that we rest from rest. <laughs> it's just, that's laziness, that's sloth. So many times, I'm just, just resting in the Lord. What have you been doing that's made you exhausted in the Lord? I have no idea. <laughs> but I'm just resting in the Lord, just trusting Him to do His thing. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> like so many times, we're just, I, I mean, it would be like a, a church saying, I'm just resting in the Lord that He's going to bring people. When was the last time you talked to a, a person? It's been a while. Well, no one's just going to come. Like there's a process in which he's commanded us, go and make disciples. Like a disciple's never been made that was not talked to by another disciple, right? So there's responsibility on our part that yes, Jesus builds his church. Yes, God grows his church. But there's a responsibility that the process in which he uses that is mobilizing his disciples to go and make disciples. We cannot expect the church to multiply and grow without us fulfilling our role and responsibility in the abiding process of actually going and abiding with others. Interacting with others. So we should exhaust ourselves on a daily basis of abiding in Christ. Like abiding in Him is weighty. It's going to be exhausting. There's going to be moments where we need to take breaks because it's exhausting. Think about just Jesus' life. I heard this this last week and I just loved it. Like Jesus, as a 30-year-old at noon, took a break and went to a well. He was thirsty. He's like, I need a break. It's because he was going hard at it. Jesus, as a 32-year-old, got on a boat and went to sleep at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, when was the last time you knew a 32-year-old who would get on a boat with friends and at 5 o'clock say, nah, I'm just call it a night, going to sleep? No, it's like we're partying it up. We're on a yacht, man. We're going to have a good time. It's 5 o'clock. We're just getting things rolling. And Jesus is going to sleep because he's been going hard at it. He's exhausted. So resting isn't just us sitting back doing nothing and expecting God to do everything. It's us saying, let's get to work because God is doing everything. But that part of that everything includes us doing something. And so we get to it. He's employed us in his mission. The idea of abide is that third leg, pursuit. We're pursuing 
the Lord. Pursuit suggests two things. It suggests that there's going to be diligence and effort on your part. I mean, have you ever been in a relationship where you didn't have to do anything? How'd that relationship work out? Like if I were to go home every night and say, Kelsey, I've, I've done my part. I work today. I'm not doing anything when I get home. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm resting. I'm just resting in this relationship. I don't think it's going to go over too well. There has to be pursuit on my end of her, and there's pursuit on her end of me in order for the relationship to abide, in order for us to work together to continue growing in one another. Like puppy love stage of relationships doesn't, like when that ends doesn't mean that you now know everything about that person. Like my, like part of my role as husband to Kelsey is to get to know her for the rest of my life. And I can already tell you, like there's, we've moved six times in four years. There's six different Kelseys that I've gotten to know. We've been in three different locations as far as Nashville, Tennessee, Miami, Florida, and Indianapolis. Those are three different Kelseys that I've gotten to know. I've gotten to know her as girlfriend, as fiance, as wife, as mother, as now mother of going to be two boys, will be completely different than mother of one boy. There's things about her that I need to be in pursuit of in order to get to know. And she right now is thinking, yes, please do it. But there's responsibility on my part for that. It doesn't just happen. Me praying, God, grow our intimacy with one another is not going to happen divorced from me actually being involved in that process of doing it. First Timothy 6, 10 through 12 looks at it like this and the idea of abiding and farming at the same time. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. So just think about that, just looking at that verse. For the love, the love is what's driving the, 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 the pursuit. So for the pursuit of money, the pursuit of this, the idea of loving, of having affectious desires for money, plants a root. Because I love it, because I want it, I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to pursue money, plants a root, and out of that root then produces the fruit of all kinds of evils. What we pursue plants roots and then begins to bear those fruits. It is through this craving, like you don't pursue anything that you don't crave, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And then here it is. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Does that sound active or passive? That sounds pretty active. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Don't just sit back and wait for it to happen. Pursue it. Fight the good fight of the faith. When was the last time you've been in a fight and didn't do anything? How'd that work out for you? Probably not too well. Especially if it was physical. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. 
Like when was the last time you tried to hold something without putting any effort involved into it? Probably didn't work out. Take hold, and here's the key, to that which you were called. This is the already part. We're holding on to something that has already brought us in. Something that already called us about which you made the good confession, about which you put faith and trust in. And you did this in the presence of many witnesses. Right there we see the two legs that produce the third leg. Jesus pursued us and called us to himself. In calling us to himself, we then received the salvation of the good confession. We came in and said, Jesus, you are the son of God. You died on the cross to pay for my sin. You rose from the grave guaranteeing for me rest, renewal, eternity with you, victory over death and sin. You guaranteed all those things for me. And so because of your pursuit of me, I'm now able to pursue righteousness. I'm now able to fight the good fight of the faith. I'm now able to take hold of the eternal life that you brought me into. And so we're now free to get after him. Yes, God called us. God saved us. God made provision for us. God ultimately grows and produces the fruit. We're completely and totally dependent upon the external factors of God bringing all of those things to fruition. We proudly recognize that. It's one of our theological distinctives of our church is the fact that we champion what God is doing. It starts out in the very beginning of our vision is that we, are, we exist to glorify God and what he is accomplishing. And at the same time, I emphasize, have to emphasize that holiness is a process, something we never completely attain in this life, but rather as we begin to conform to the will of God, we're doing it in one area of life that moves to another area of life that moves to another area of life. We're literally being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. We are growing. I'm not going to give Ezra a car and a license right now and say, good luck, buddy. He's almost two. I don't even want to give him lemonade right now. He's just not ready for it. So like the same thing is with us, right? Like there are degrees in which God's role as vine dresser is providing for us things to grow in and mature in. And we are to follow and walk in that pursuit of receiving it. And it's not wrong to want to wanna just go for it. I mean, I, I joke about the lemonade because Ezra kept going for it out in the, the hallway out there. Like, we want, like, go for it. I mean, I, I applaud him for trying. He's pursuing it. But at the same time, God is able to come in and in his role continue to mold and transform us and to say, sometimes, not yet. But let's go for it. Let's go for all of it. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Let's go for all those promises that he offers to us. And we're trusting that he is maturing us in that process. The choice is ours. Will we accept our responsibility and discipline ourselves? 
Will we persevere in the face of frequent failure? We're going to fail at this. When we pursue, we fail, right? All the time. Will we decide that personal holiness is worth the price of saying no to our body's demands to indulge its appetites? Will we say no to sin and yes to Jesus, knowing that we are already cleansed, knowing that we are already have the ability to be able to do that because Christ lives in us? In the beginning, we considered the farmer who, in dependence on God, fulfills his responsibility to produce the harvest. He does not sit back and wait for God to act. Rather, he acts himself. He's trusting God to do his part. If we are to attain any measure of holiness, we must have an attitude of pursuit of him. I love what Charles Spurgeon used to say about his sermon preparation. He says, from Monday to Saturday, I would prepare the sermon as if the Holy Spirit did not exist and that it was completely dependent upon me to preach the sermon. And then when he would enter into the pulpit on Sunday, he would preach the sermon as if the Holy Spirit is the only one that is completely dependent upon the effectiveness of the sermon and he himself is removed from the situation. That's how we are to go about our life. We are free to pursue holiness as if God's not doing anything to grow us. So what do we know about the scriptures? What, do we, what does our prayer lives look like? Let's literally jump and dive in as if God wasn't doing anything and it was all completely onto us in order to grow and mature ourselves. But then we get to rest in knowing that God is ultimately the one who is growing and maturing us in that process of us pursuing him, abiding in him. Every hour, every minute, every second. We abide in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, We thank you that you've given us this weighty command to abide in you as you abide in us. God, knowing that it, it seems impossible for me to be able to do something with you to the scale of what you were doing with me but yet you still command us to do it. You still command us to pursue you as you've pursued us. You command us to love you as you have loved us. You command us to love others as you have loved others. You command us to say no to sin as you have said no to sin. And God, the the only way that we're able to do that is by seeing that Jesus, who did it himself, has now given us the identity to walk in, to live out all the yeses that are in Jesus. Whether I'm struggling with greed, I have the ability to say no. Whether I'm struggling with lust, I have the ability to say no. Whether I'm struggling with envy, I have the ability to say no. Whether I'm struggling with just just not being content with where I'm at, I have the ability to say no to that and yes to you. God, let us move beyond just intellectual assent. Let us move beyond just the theology that you are a good God. And let us begin to grow in our understanding that that also means that we are now free to run and walk and play in your goodness that there are roles and responsibilities that we possess, that we have. 
that we are free to move in, that we are free to grow in, that we are free to utilize in our relationships with one another, our relationships with you. God, help us to abide in you as you abide in us. God, help us to, help us not to self-condemn, help us not to um, be navel gazers and constantly saying, woe is me. Let us see ourselves for the way that you see us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Help us to see our relationship with you. Help us to see our identity in you. Help us to become what we already are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We close. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at